0: What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks.
1: I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, How can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Ella Made is a successful tech entrepreneur and a founding partner of 50 years, a venture capital firm focused on working with companies combining profit and purpose to solve some of the world's biggest problems. Through 50 years, Ella has invested in over 30 private companies in areas such as synthetic biology, energy, space tech, health tech, food tech, autonomous vehicles, and more. Memphis Meats, the pioneering company working on clean meat, is part of Ella's portfolio, along with Geltor, a technology company that produces vegan gelatin. In this interview, we discuss how Ella got interested in purpose-driven technology and business. She also shares her thoughts on the problems with our current economic system and why capitalism needs to evolve if you want to prepare for a future that will be negatively impacted by climate change. We even get into how artificial intelligence will fundamentally change the business world and the importance of building values into technology and business to avoid potential disasters. Thanks to her interest in how our actions impact the world around us, Ella went vegan a few years ago and she shares her thoughts on how technology can play a key role in helping us fix the food system and feed 10 billion people by the year 2050. This is one of the most unique and multifaceted interviews I have done to date and I'm so excited to be able to share Ella's wisdom and foresight with you. Hi, Ella Madej, thanks for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Ella, so I want to start off with um, how you came up with the name 50 Years for your Venture Capital Fund, uh, the inspiration behind that, and what the mission of the fund is.
0: Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, 50 Years um, was named after uh, Winston Churchill's essay called 50 Years Hence that was published around 1930, 1931. He was publishing in different places. But um, uh, my partner, Seb, and I, and, and I'm happy to tell a little bit more about how we started working together, but we were essentially fascinated by um, with, with that essay and, and, and the ability for Winston Churchill to predict, just kind of looking at um, the trajectory of scientific prob- uh, progress at that time to predict pretty um, uh, far um, out there things. And he, and, and he sort of got the timeline um, wrong. He thought all those things uh, would happen by by um, 1981 or around. But, but some of the things he was able to see um, was that at some point in the future, we will be um, and you know, genetically engineering uh, uh, humans and other species. That we will be using microbes as 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 platforms as as, my, as my factories to to make other things. Which is you know right now, um, what synthetic biology, uh, modern synthetic biology is about. He he saw nuclear, abundant nuclear energy for all, and he thought we would live in a world of abundance. And and he isn't. He was also the first. The um, person we know of that uh, said that it's it makes no sense to grow an entire chicken just to eat the wing and it makes much more sense to just grow the wing under a uh, suitable medium mm-hmm. uh, in a lab so he predicted what we now call cellular agriculture um, and 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 many of the scientific advancements that were really needed to to see that it's possible we're we're definitely not there in, in his time. So so we were impressed by that. And in the second part of this essay, uh, he talks about the social responsibility of scientists and technologies and technologists to build a world we actually want. So he, he, he because of those changes are um that that this that science and technology can bring are so dramatic and they shape the society and, and we see that uh right now so we thought that taking a principled approach to what is the world we want to enable is a very important part of of why why we started 50 years and why we started investing
1: i mean that's fascinating most people don't even know about that essay and the fact that he was able to look so far ahead in the future yes he didn't get everything right but the fact that he could even envision that uh, says a lot about his foresight and his um his knowledge at that point in time about things that still didn't exist from a scientific standpoint. Um, You know, what also is interesting is you pointed out about principles. And I think I've heard you talk about the future of capitalism and uh, why we need to go beyond profit as the only metric for success of uh, corporations and for businesses, and why we need to incorporate purpose um, into that. It seems to be part of the DNA of 50 years and, and your philosophy. Can you Talk a little bit more about that. what got you interested in this uh blend of profit and purpose?
0: Yeah, I think maybe let me take a step back and and say share a little bit about my like my story and how fifty years got what, what led me to to starting fifty years so i i I've been in tech for the last twelve years. I started my first company in 2006. I, it was a software development firm. It was back in Poland. I'm or, I'm, I'm originally Polish, um, and I became I became the CEO of the firm. And we grew to be one of the 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 bigger, at some point, the biggest Ruby on Rails development um, agencies in Europe. And I organized um, events for software developers. And then we started building tools internally and 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 spinning them. And then we intended to spin them out as a separate. Um, businesses so my my you know my 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 life has been very much in tech and and I had some um and I went to Y Combinator and I, and I and my other and another company that I co-founded uh, which is a CRM business so sales management mm-hmm. uh company is doing fairly well at some point a few years ago I had this realization that you know I've been I've been excited about technological progress but and I thought because we're doing new and cool things that enough justifies spending time on that, but then you have this dramatic realization that there's just so many people and and other sentient beings um, uh, suffering in the world, and you know we're talking about hyperbolic hyperbolic commercialization curves, and we're talking about changing the world, but you know we're. Uh, Increasing someone's productivity is not changing the world or or even making the world more connected mm-hmm. in itself is not changing the world. You actually have to be addressing the the problems that are out there so 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 that was that led me that 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 was the kind of full story behind fifty years and and how it ties to your how it ties back to the question of the future of capitalism is that as we see more and more um Areas of the economy being digitized, and how we see uh, more and more areas of the economy being taken being being taken over by um, automation, and and um, you know sort of there's less human decision making involved, and and we know that you know algorithmic trading in the past caused. uh, market crashes and those, you know, because we're just playing with digits, and at some point it goes back to the reality and it causes actual results in the world. You know, people lose money or people lose houses, and, and there's actual suffering caused by you know a, a, a decision that an algorithm made, uh, you know, was was designed was programmed to make in a in split of a second. So, I think in the future, right now we're at this in this transition point when we see that you know, the world we're designing, um, and a relatively small group of people is designing for everyone else, um, can have those outsized effects. And, but right now we're not yet great at, um, kind of measuring, um, you know, for any given business action, what are the externalities and how to measure it. And I think, the future of in 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 the future, uh, we will get better at managing those externalities, and I think we will um, businesses will be, have to become drastically more um, um, accountable for for the for, for the its essentially effects of their business uh, business activity. And I think the, um, Nick how Nick Hanauer, whom I respect greatly, has this great uh, uses this great metaphor that it's essentially it's unthinkable that we're taking a two, you know, say hundred million dollar companies, mm-hmm. and one of them is causing diabetes. Let's say it's a company that uh, sells sugary drinks, and the, and the other one is curing diabetes. And in the current economic system, these two companies are considered equally viable for the society, valuable for the society. For, v- v- which is insane because one of those companies is essentially helping every you know given that the, it has the right incentive structure helping the society out and the other one is offsetting its the negative externalities of of its business model to the government and and or whoever is paying for healthcare or for uh, to 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 consumers themselves so i think there's this awakening happening that we right now see is broken um the economic system we have right now is not um is not easy is not going to change you know overnight and i think there's the, the question of how to change it efficiently and how to transition to this um more just system and i think it's a still an open one and uh we're trying to with 50 years we decided we want to start somewhere. You know, we know technology investing fairly well. We have, we're very well networked in Silicon Valley, so we thought this is a very good starting point for us. But definitely, our ambitions are much bigger, and we want to positively contribute to, to this transition that will happen in the next ten or twenty years. Um yeah, so that's that's kind of the short version of it, which wasn't that short.
1: <laughs> no, I mean I think there's so much um interesting stuff that you just said that that I can take this in ten different directions. But um, you know, what is really fascinating is the fact that both our current um economic system as well as our current approach to technology is um sort of ignoring these externalities. This kind of doesn't incorporate what the potential impact is beyond things like shareholder value. Let's look at just yeah. technology. Let's look at social media, for example. We're kind of running a mass experiment right now on, um, on the entire human population by putting out devices and social media, um, not just social media, I mean even smartphones, that are obviously adding a certain amount of value to our lives and connecting us, but we have no idea What are the negative consequences of some of this? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, value-based design work done, uh, I think, out of the University of Washington by um, two professors, I think, Bachar Friedman and Peter Kahn. Um, I had looked into this um, a long time ago in a previous life of mine where I used to focus on privacy. Um, But Mm -hmm. essentially, the problem is that um, when we design technology, we do not think about These impacts, we do not think about the negative consequences. And they talk about how, you know, technology has um, some inherent biases of the inventor. It has uh, certain biases that are developed. The tech tends to shape human behavior in ways that we cannot foresee. And we need to um, we need to keep those values and interests in mind while designing technology. And I think the same is true of Designing a business for profit, of course, you have to make a profit. But um, to what consequence the profit, right? If your your goal is to produce um, x, you know, like you pointed out about um, the companies that produce um, soda, uh, they are actually causing probably more damage than value that they're adding to uh, to to humans. So anyway, all of that is really interesting. And I've, you know, one more thing. I heard you say that which um, I never really thought about before, but is, is fascinating in this discussion around values, um, is if you look 50 years hence from now, um, we are mm-hmm. most likely going to be in a place where majority of our uh, systems, including our economy, potentially businesses, will be run by artificial intelligence to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. what happens then when we kind of give over control to machines or, or neural networks of some nature that have no values? Or, I mean, how do we design mm-hmm. an existing system, uh, a, a future system that accounts for human values? Like, what happens to us then? Um, can, you, yeah. can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I've heard you briefly mention that before, and I think it's it just blows my mind to even think about it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, the interesting part the interesting um sort of high level question here is nobody really knows what's going to happen. I, I got interested in that um almost outside of what we're doing at fifty years just sort of being a responsible citizen of Silicon Valley. Um and I and then some time ago I read Nick Bostrom's book Superintelligence mm-hmm. where where he's you know talks about those those curves and, and when we can see And general, general artificial AI, and and what will happen then? And um, and it's interesting if if somebody is sort of has no uh, prior uh, knowledge on that. It's those we're talking about um, algorithms and systems that are um, generally as intelligent as humans, so that they're capable of doing most or, or all or more of the tasks that, 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 that an average human can do. And an interesting fact there is they can do them much fast. They can do them much faster because of, you know, our processing speed is sort of limited to our biological structure. Silicon um, processing it happens you know, a few more orders of magnitude faster. So those, as soon as, as soon as those agents exist and, and there's no reason to doubt that they will exist sometime in the next, you know, maybe 50 years, probably shorter in a shorter time frame. Then, you know, they will just act much faster. So then the question is, if they, you know, we're the designers. humankind kind uh, is 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 the designers, but it's those uh, those algorithms those systems are are certain things we know because there are laws and systems in place to tell us you know that killing people is bad and um hopefully soon killing animals will be perceived as bad um but uh you know that certain things we we know we all know we don't we like enjoy um certain things that we dislike suffering but a a a even a super intelligent machine that does not necessarily know all of those nuances about, you know, what humans like or dislike. So, and, and, and there's no reason to sting, to doubt that, 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 that some of those systems will be making decisions that impact us economically and that have sort of economic uh, uh, and real externalities. Mm-hmm. So there are a few, um, there are a few people. I mean, and and there should be more probably people, uh, people thinking about you know what happens then. And for sure, and and I think uh, one of the promising, uh, um, to my limited knowledge, of course, but to one of the promising areas there is the this idea of extrapolated human volition is essentially to tell those systems that they should always try to act like a best, most moral, most consistent human would act and, and only, uh, and, mm. and, and, and there are a few approaches of, of teaching um, um, neural nets, like what, what that could be. And, and that matters because as more and more um, areas of economic activity are, you know, are, are not directly run by humans or maybe supported by humans, but, but there, you know, some decisions are just, well, it's going to be a, um, it's going to be a a race. So there, you know, speed will matter, which means, you know, computers will be able to make decisions faster Then we really have to make sure we we still live in a world that, you know, it's, it has room for, for, for the type of life that we all want, where, um, where we feel happy, connected, where we're, um, able to self-actualize, and we're able to have relationships, and we're able to enjoy, you know, clean air and 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 an environment. So, it's a it's an interesting case, and, and and that's why I think it's even more important to think about it now, because at some point, it just might be too it just might be too late. But again, yeah. that's just kind of my. That's a, that's a little bit outside of, you know, what we're doing at 50 years. Clearly, uh, many uh, big thinkers of the world, including, you know, Nick Bostrom and Jan Talon of Skype and Elon Musk mm-hmm. are thinking about it. So um, we should be in good hands, but there definitely should be more people thinking about it and working on it. And yeah. Sam Altman, of course, and OpenAI at um, uh, Spanado of YC.
1: Right and you know if you look at if you keep that into if you keep that in mind and you bring that into context into what is happening today we look around our current systems also are almost i wouldn't say devoid of ethics but are um, have been designed in the last 200 years just to exploit our natural resources in a race to produce cheaper Products um, at scale. Yeah. To um, and, yeah. you know, that's a great segue into one big issue that I can't believe we still haven't gotten into, but we will now, is <laughs> our food system, right? So yeah. at the end of the day, let's look at our food system as um, as an example of that. It's a worst case scenario right now, where if you continue producing food um, in in the way that we're doing, so now especially animal protein, we're going to end up in a place in less than 30 years from now where we will not be able to feed the planet without completely destroying, um, uh, and sucking up our natural resources. So let's talk about food. How did you get interested in the food system and in, um, in focusing on that?
0: Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, I, I think food was always my way of in I mean for many people it is uh, food is was my way of interacting with with the world. I think I started cooking when I was 5 or 6 and there was something there's something special about um sharing food. It 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 is a very sort of efficient way of nurturing other people. I think other ways are harder and less predictable, but but if you can share food and you know you give you, you around you give the such of community um so, so it was always my interest. I never would have hoped that I would be given an opportunity, or that I would find myself in a position where I can invest in that space. Um, so, what, what I end up realizing, um, and, and definitely Seth, my partner, was had an impact on that, was that you know just the fact that our parents um, and grandparents ate animal protein, it doesn't, you know, with what, what we know from from cognitive science right now, and we know from environmental research we have to update our priors and it doesn't seem like it is a responsible um, or I would even say ethical way of, 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 of going about, you know, finding nutrition. So I became vegetarian, not actually, not so long ago in 2013 and then very quickly after sort of looked into, you know, why people decide to go vegan. And it just totally made sense on an intellectual level. Um, um, so so I so I became vegan and and got really interested in you know how how technology can help solve that problem because behavior change is hard and people were default to the choices that are most you know cheapest more most convenient um and um and tastier for them frankly so you know knowing that how to design the food system where people you know, can still at any moment when they're making a food choice, can they can still go for cheaper, more convenient and 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 the the youngest, uh, but you know what what they choose essentially does not have that um environmental uh load and ethical um um uh, load. So that, that was that was that was the first thought there. And then just out of intellectual interest, Seb and I were in Europe in two thousand fifteen and um and we went we heard of the the the, the cultured meat symposium in the mm-hmm. Netherlands that Professor Mark Toast yeah. uh, organized um in, in Maastricht. And we just went there to see, you know, where where things are at. We sort of thought it would be further out there, but and definitely did not consider we would find ourselves investing in that space. Um, but essentially met the scientific community there, got into you know where you, what is the basic science there, well especially on cellular agriculture, this is what I'm referring to right now yeah. um and got interested in um how you know if for the people who will want to continue eating meat and for whom it's a harder decision to 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 go uh, plant based, how do we give them that meat in a way that's more um, that makes more sense like there's no reason to feed a cow. 30 calories in and then get one calorie out with the land needed and what the sort of environmental impact of it and then the water so it, it just doesn't make sense right now just from a first principles perspective so there had to be a better system and I know I think Paul Shapiro recently gave an interview on on that and he uses this great metaphor of you know back in the days people thought we could only get ice <laughs> from just frozen you know <laughs> lakes yeah. Um, or glaciers and then at some point people invented artificial ice and they realized they can actually you know make it at the point of service it doesn't have to be carried on trucks from essentially d- distant places in the world um, um, so we believe this is a very rational way of waking food and start making investments that in space where an investor in Memphis meets uh, which you um, uh, which it's a cultured meat company and they're doing an amazing job and recently um, got a a big investment from TFJ and Richard Branson and Bill Bill Gates. So there seems to be this overall excitement. about the future of of, of seller ad, and I'm happy to talk about other investments we, we we've made. But that's that's kind of how we found ourselves there. And then it is incredibly exciting to be supporting those entrepreneurs. It's and is when you think of how much money you spend on software, mm-hmm. you probably don't spend much on software. But we we make food-related decisions many times a day, and that's the you know that's such a big part of. And our spending, so there's just there's such potential for impact into making sure those dollars are spent well.
1: Right. And are you the are you most excited about cellular agriculture, or are you also looking into things like plant based proteins? Um, Where Where do you think? Yeah. Go ahead.
0: We're looking. We're looking into everything. Mm -hmm. I actually, when we first started, we we thought that maybe the plant based. Uh, companies, their fifty years is focused on technology investment. This is where we think we can help, and this is where we. This is how we think um, the world can change faster. So we initially uh, thought that maybe in the plant-based ecosystem, there's not enough tech. But since that, we definitely updated our prior and and realized that there's actually. A huge potential for automation. So we recently backed a a plant-based robotics company that, you know, right right now, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the meat industry has one of the most advanced robotics to handle, like, de-skin, de-bone animals and, and just do those terrible things. But the efficiency is there. It's also extremely hard labor market, so that's why automation uh, is so advanced there that that level of automation is not does not exist in the plant-based space right now which means it's very hard to drive the cost down and really the competition is um it, it, you know we're talking about it, 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 i love the beyond meat and i love impossible burger and i really hope they will drive their cost down as well but we we need to make plant-based replacements affordable so this is very exciting we're excited about Algae protein and mycoprotein, and using synthetic biology to make um, different ingredients that are right now derived directly from animals. Um, yeah, different formulation and processing uh, uh, companies. So um, yeah, quite quite uh, quite quite a spectrum. As long as there is a technology differentiator, we we think we're. A good fit yeah. for
1: those companies yeah and it's so fascinating years ago if you thought about tech and food um usually people would get scared because tech and the technology involved in food usually resulted in creating cheaper food filled with uh, ingredients that human beings probably should not consume um, or increasing, uh, as you mentioned, automation in um, the factory farm process uh, or the factory farm system. So yeah, yeah. what's what's exciting now, we are finally seeing tech being applied in food to do good, to cre- create better food, to create and bring down the cost of food, but also increase the quality of food and to solve real problems rather than just produce um, sugary, you know, oily, crazy process stuff that... Is actually adding no value. Back to your earlier point about um, companies that make, uh, that produce soda that is full of sugar and actually is not really adding any value to most people's lives. Yeah. So, you know, it's a fascinating time we're living in. And, you know, I want to be mindful of your time. So I'm just going to jump to one last question. Can I
0: just say, can I just comment on that? Because I think it's something that people, um, people, especially kind of the organic vegan, crowd or or just in general the organic crowd gets very ex- uh, it's skeptical of well mm-hmm. how you know what, what do you mean tech and then when you realize that you know it's it's not we we have eight billion people in the world, and the population the the population is growing we not everyone will be able to get a massaged tomato, mm-hmm. so we need automation we need ways of reducing the pesticide use we need um systems to move food around quickly to reduce food waste. So there's just so many beautiful things that technology can do to really give everyone cheaper healthier um, food that um, you know is going to keep also the grain population healthy and 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 content. So I think, um yes, there are certain areas where technology has been misused in food, but technology is here to stay, and um, and even, and, and I think we have to take advantage of it to compete on price because right now we can already buy really healthy and actually tastier produce, but the prices are only at the price levels are only accessible for a very small mm-hmm. uh, portion of the population, which does not solve the big problem we have with, with, with the quality of, uh, of food in the U S and globally. Okay. Your final question.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I want. I'll just add one comment before I ask my final question. Is that uh, yeah, yeah. you know often people and um, you say there is you choose better food or why can't you just tell people to eat healthy food? Uh, you have to mm. also keep in mind who are we talking about. If you take a step back outside of you know our um, cities like San Francisco and New York and you know coastal American cities, and you think of not even America, you think of the planet at large, and you see. Um, I just spent a few weeks in Asia as well recently, and you see what's happening there. Everyone is consuming more animal protein, and that that is mm. coming from places that is um, uh, that are not you know idyllic farms. Those are factory farms, yeah. and people are switching to more processed food. So. We have to figure out a solution that not just feeds some people, but feeds the entire planet. And I think one of the ways Mm -hmm. to get us there, besides educating people about food, is to create, back to what you said in the beginning, create solutions that make it easier for people to eat what they love, but making the default choice to be something that is more sustainable healthier and better for Mm -hmm. the entire planet so i think that's where tech can make a difference and you know the proof is in some of the new products that are out there they are undoubtedly better than most of the other things that were available so i'm going to end with my last question which i ask all my guests uh i think it's it's very fitting for what 50 years does is you're forward-looking. So I end with a forward-looking question. Um, Not 50 years from now, but say 30 years in 2050, Mm -hmm. when there's nearly 10 billion people on the planet, if you are successful and you think we're able to do these amazing things with cellular agriculture and um, kind of fix our food system using automation and and technology, what kind of world do you envision keeping the food system in mind in the year 2050?
0: Mm -hmm. It's not... It's not totally unrealistic that we, by 2050 we will not uh, – it won't be legal to kill animals for food in most countries in the world, I think. And then which means, you know, the food system must have transitioned to something else. Consumers mm-hmm. must have by then accepted the alternatives. And then, you know, when it's no longer a choice that where your well-being is um, directed, I think the empathy circle – you know, has the potential to to grow, and uh, and there's good ground for regulation. It will not happen if we don't have um, if certain other political changes uh, will happen as well, so that also people are taken care of. Because I think right now some um, it, it's a it's it's just how current political systems work. That like first people have to feel that they're, you know, taken care of and they have strong social support and maybe universal income is is is, is true by then. Mm-hmm. And I think only then the, the the a constructive political dialogue can move to other sentient beings. So I think there's a few things there, but we see that happening. We see good changes happening in sort of wealthier um uh, democracies such as Switzerland and the Netherlands and there's there's um yeah I think animal farming will be this thing of the past that we used to do, but how could yeah nobody really wants to talk about it anymore um, yeah and I think it's not not totally unrealistic but it it will very much depend on 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 how our political systems deal with the technological change that we're seeing right now and I think that's 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 kind of that's kind of where, where I see it. Uh but yeah, we're we're I, we're right now, I mean, you you see that, we see that there's just this amazing transformation happening. Unfortunately, this year uh, in the US was the, I think peak year for meat consumption and the 2018 is projected to be even higher, but even the meat companies are trying to differentiate to different sources of protein. So as soon as they feel they have enough money to make from those alternative sources, I think they're going to switch and they're going to actually start supporting the movement if they see that their margins there can be higher. And just looking from first principles, the margins there sh- have to be higher just mm-hmm. just based on pure energy and calorie conversion. So we just have to get the technology to get to those numbers. and And, and then I think it will be an economically business it would be a correct business decision for everyone to to start marketing these you know and their health benefits and all their benefits so the change will accelerate yeah so that's that's the hope
1: yeah you're i mean i don't think that's um unlikely in fact i've been following this space for the past seven years and um Some of the things that have happened, no one could have predicted um, seven years ago. And I think the reason it's happening is because of the work that we're doing today. People like you and the companies that you invest in, we are creating that future. So once again, Ella, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast today. I look forward to keeping in touch and uh, seeing what kind of amazing new things you get involved in. And hopefully we can have this conversation again shortly.
0: Great, thank you, Neil. Uh, uh, thank you for also thank you for spreading, uh, uh, for sharing this message <laughs> and supporting the the, the 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 movement.
1: Thank you. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.